Hello, this is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast, sponsored by sales enablement platform provider, Mediafly. Our mission is to provide you with the independent insights, community advice, and tools to guide your sales, content, and value enablement journeys and fuel your professional evolution. My guest today is Dr. Brian Glibkowski. He is the author of the book, Answer Intelligence, Raise Your AQ. And this is based on his research and pioneering work on how to leverage questions and answers to better improve your communications, gain trust, and close more deals. He's currently the founder and CEO of Sempler Science, a TED Talk speaker, and the Associate Professor of Management at North Central College in the Chicagoland area. Evolvers, please welcome Dr. Brian Glibkowski. Brian, welcome. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Evolvers, I feel like I'm locked and loaded and ready to go here. That's probably sort of not the right context, but uh, very excited to be here. Yeah, it's not exactly revolvers <laughs> or evolvers, but that's all right. We get we get you. We get you. Um, you know, now more than ever, I like to talk about no decision and what a threat that is to hitting forecasts and hitting plans. We're seeing more and more deals. Gartner's reporting almost 50% of deals ending in the dreaded no decision. Um, you know, are you seeing some of the same things with some of some of your clients and some of the folks you're working with? Yeah, I think uh, very interesting uh, stat there. Uh, seeing the same things, you know, in, in my book, it's looking at uh, communication and conversations. If I sort of broaden the lens for a second, then I'll bring it back down to sales. With the virtualization of communicating that everyone's experiencing, really, it's made more salient our ability to communicate effectively. So in an environment where it's easy to communicate, we get by with what we normally do. We take someone out to dinner, we have more time. But if we take a look at, you know, post-COVID and virtualization, you know, it's all virtual. The, the social element is, is down. We, our meetings are shorter. So what does that mean? We have to be more effective at communicating. So specifically to sales, um, you know, my book, and we're going to talk about this, is about questions and also answers. So in this environment, when things um, are, are more difficult, we have to be better at communicating. So for example, I did a workshop with um, a management consulting firm. Pre-COVID, people would stand around the water coolers and leads would come in. Post-COVID, that doesn't happen. So now you have to be more effective at communicating. And, and I think that's a big reason we're seeing uh, no decisions because conversations are just not as effective as they used to be because we have to be better in this environment. Yeah, and in particular, we're seeing a lot of sellers where because the online medium of virtual selling is creating uh, almost a void in interaction, we're seeing a lot of show up and throw up presentations, a lot of demos that are one feature after another feature after another feature. And we're not seeing the art of conversation carry through as much as you would in a normal conference room where you're interacting, you're handing the marker to the customer, you've got a marker, you're getting up to the whiteboard. It tends to be falling back and almost reverting to a lot of presentation, a lot of demos, a lot of one way. And unfortunately, like you said, maybe not enough discovery questions and certainly not enough probably compelling answers to get us where we want to be. Yeah, let me react to that. That's a that's a great point. I think when you, when you think of conversations, it's two-way. 
it's questions and answers mm -hmm. and you have to be good at both sides of the equation. Um, you know, it's interesting when we think of discovery, we sometimes double down on, on just asking questions. <laughs> you know, that's great, but in an environment where it's sort of sterile and, and I'm being sold to, do I want to answer the questions and have question after question where it's not a conversation, it's a monologue or an interrogation? So here, here's one thought. Maybe sequence answers, then questions. Start with the story or a metaphor to stimulate their interest. They get more interested. They start asking more questions. You can ask more questions. You know, we, we forget that it's a dialogue. Absolutely. And I think that uh, the Rain Group had a really uh, interesting piece of research, and they did this post um, the virtual selling revolution that we've seen or evolution that we've seen because it was already occurring and now is just the way of the world. And one of the key factors that they found was, yes, discovery is missing. But another key factor that was missing as well was listening. And um, are you seeing that same kind of thing? Is it harder to get across that, like you said, you don't want the, the questions to be an interrogation, but we're also finding that maybe sellers aren't showing or proving that they're listening and hearing and understanding. Yeah, <laughs> let me see if I can make this point about the conversation really clear. So, you know, if you're telling me a story, you know, I can say great story. You know, I'm not providing an answer. I'm just sort of filler text. I could ask another question. But a different way to do this is when someone tells you a story, respond with a different type of answer. So, for example, keep it very broad. If you told, told me the story about Romeo and Juliet, mm -hmm. one way I could respond is say great story. Another way I could respond is with an answer and say, that's like star-crossed lovers. So I'm providing a metaphor. I'm furthering the conversation. So what, what you need, really need to think about as a communicator is what type of questions can you provide, but also what types of answers. And then you have this sort of dynamic conversation. And that's what happens you know, in the most interesting conversations. It's two-way. Use answers. Totally agree. So what I want to do is take us back for a second, you know, buying, and I wrote about this in, in my book is emotions, logic and trust. And I, I likened it back to Aristotle, right, and, and how he used to win arguments in the Senate. It's pathos with emotion, logos with logic, and then ethos with trust. Um, today, I'm seeing a lot of the no decisions really fall to and in the past, it might have been more about emotion, like not a desire to change. Now it seems to be like there's a desire to change and logically it makes sense to change, but I don't maybe trust that the outcome is going to be what you're saying it is, or maybe I don't trust you, or maybe I view it as too risky or too costly. Talk about what you think about trust and its impact on no decision and just in general, you know, what the heck is trust? Yeah, let me use this as a little mini case study. So we can think of trust, and there's a lot of questions associated with it. What is trust? Why should I trust you? you know, how do you show me you trust? And in my book, we take those questions and map them to six answers. So let, okay. me, let me take you through the first one. You asked me, what is trust? Mm -hmm. I actually did some interviews with a, a consulting firm, and we we're talking about trusted advisor. That's a vacuous mm -hmm. term, sort of hollow and meaningless. So I asked him, what is a trusted advisor? So first of all, you can answer that with a concept. So you can define that. He defined trust as when a client works with us on two or more projects. Okay, so that you know that's one definition. It's a working definition. It's a good one. Um, second, you can 
take trust and break it down into dimensions. And you can say there's organizational trust and person trust, for example. So do they trust the organization? So that could be the overall product you've developed. It could be systems you have in place. Do they trust the person and that gets, you know, emotional. So that's, um, you know, it's a concept, you know, so you need to understand as a seller, what you think trust is. So you may not like that definition. You might like some other definition. And how are you going to communicate that to a client? So that's a concept. And real quick, the second way to answer, you know, what is trust questions, provide a metaphor. So the same consultant said, we want to be your trusted advisor. The third card in the Rolodex behind the doctor and the lawyer, and then there's us, right? So, I mean, that's very consistent with that definition because you only go to the Rolodex when you have sort of reoccurring conversations. So, um, you know, that would be one way of answering, you know, what is a trusted advisor with those two answers? Yeah, I, I like how you're thinking about it in terms of, you can kind of think about it as the buyer looking at you and saying, do I trust you as a person, right? Are you coming through with the things you said you were going to do? Um, do I trust the organization, right? Do I trust the solution? And then do I trust the outcomes? And those are just a few that come to mind. And I'm sure there's a couple more that I'm missing in there. And then they also have kind of an internal trust, right? Within the organization themselves, when they're making one of these decisions, they've got to say, look, do I trust this investment is going to be a worthwhile investment? Do we have the capability and maturity to implement it? Do I trust my executives that they're, they've got my back and they won't hang me out to dry? So it becomes this complex kind of multidimensional aspect to it where you as the seller are trying to really battle these two internal and external trust factors, right? Internally, you've got to make them feel comfortable and maybe even help facilitate some of the alignment that lets them trust that internally they've got the support and capabilities they need. And then externally that you've got their back, that your organization is good. The person you personally are good and are true to your word. The solution is good. The outcomes are good, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. All great points. And I just want to amplify sort of the internal external. Mm -hmm. when you think of answers as a selling organization, sort of broaden this even more as a selling organization, you need answers for your, your sales team. So they should all know what trust is. If you don't know what it is, how are you going to implement? And sometimes you want to communicate that to the client you know, a metaphor like the third card in the Rolodex, that could really raise expectations. Oh, that's the kind of trust relationship they want to have. Okay, mm -hmm. let's see you do it. Um, you know, you know, maybe, I don't know if you want to pivot to the, uh, the why question, you know, but why yeah. is trust important, right? Yeah, let's pivot. Yeah, so if you take the question, you know, why is trust important? You know, this, you want to provide answers for the sales team. Can you imagine mm -hmm. a skeptical sales team? Oh, trust, why do we need to do that, right? Um, you know, tell you a quick story of a, of a client that, um, you know, so you can answer, you know, why is trust important with the story? So let me, let me tell you a story. Mm -hmm. I, I was uh, helping a, um, uh, a company select an ad agency and I went with the CEO, a couple of senior executives out to a, a pitch from an ad agency. And we got there and we sat down, beautiful place uh, and, you know, Pellegrino water on the table uh, one problem, the glasses were dirty. Okay. So, I, you know, I looked over at one of the senior executives, I knew what he was thinking. And afterwards he told me they were done before we started. And he didn't say this, but how can he trust someone with their brand? If you can't even trust them 
to have clean glasses. So what's the point of this story? This would be a great story to tell internally to the sales team, right? All the details matter for trust, right? And there it's you know, related to the types of trust, organization-based trust. The entire ad agency was there, the CEO of the ad agency, you know, she didn't do anything to make the problem fixable, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, person-based trust, the main contact didn't fix the, the water, you know, issue. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that's a, a story you could tell internally to your team, but maybe externally you tell a different story. So, you know, real quick, you could tell a story externally about how, you know, I'll, I'll skip all the details, but we work a long time with a client and we get to know each other and then we start working on different projects together. All of a sudden, you're starting to tell a trust story about things unfolding over time. You have to find the right stories you want to tell externally. Mm -hmm. so that's, um, that's a story. So I'll pause there for a second, then I'll tell you the other answer to the why question. So one of the real keys, I think, that you mentioned is expectation when it comes to trust, right? And I had a, a, a trust expert that you may know, Todd Capone. Uh, author of the Transparency Sale, another great author like you. And he, he basically says, look, when it comes to trust, it's not an absolute measure. There's an expectation that the customer comes to the table with and an expectation they have of your brand. And it's aligning those things. So you don't necessarily have to be perfect. And in fact, there are flaws and you can even embrace those flaws as assets but there is this alignment of expectations so that when you go to that ad agency and you're gonna be spending hundreds of millions of dollars in advertising, you know, you wanna make sure that everything is impeccable and dirty water glasses were not part of that expectation. <laughs> and so something so simple can knock you out. Um, whereas if the expectation maybe wasn't there, maybe it was a, a very creative agency that you were going to see. And, you didn't expect clean glasses. In fact, you expected Red Bulls on the table, you know, and, and, and you expected to be drinking out of the can and the CEO is all tattooed, you know, with a, with a nose piercing um, and spike hair. So, you know, I think, I think there's an alignment there. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, I think that's a, a great observation and I'll relate it back to organization and person-based trust. So there's systems you can put in place at the organization. But ultimately, I think it comes down to people, even sales, you know, sales reps that are sort of the, uh, the safety net that make sure everything is good. So mm -hmm. the story I just told you about the dirty glasses could have been saved by the safety net, right? The sales rep who cleaned the glasses at the last moment and saved the day. Um, ultimately, I think when you go forth in an organization, a big part of that trust comes down to people because systems mm -hmm. only take, take you so far and you need people. So I think um, that sort of aligns with, um, you know, what you're talking about. And, and, I, and, I, and I would even go a step further to say so many failures that occur generally then become opportunities for people to fix, right? We always have mm -hmm. those kind of examples. So I think that's consistent with what you're talking about. Yeah. And, I, you know, it came to me as you were answering my question is that we need to think of the seller, we need to think of the commercial team almost as the ambassadors of trust nowadays. If trust is the most important factor, well, then our sellers and our commercial team are probably more valuable than ever in being those true touchpoint ambassadors of trust so that we can meet those trust expectations that we've set forth and that our customers expect. 
Yeah, it makes sense. Um, you know, I, 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 I want to tell you about theory, you know, which is an answer in our framework. It sounds sort of sterile. You can think of it as business strategy. Uh-huh. I'll tell you what, right now, you know, two things to think about. If you are an, uh, a salesperson learning about trust, you're going to say, why do I care about that? You know, you know, because trust, you know, relates to certain business outcomes. Or if you're a client, why do you care about that? You have to articulate the reason they care. And here's a reason for um, a buyer. This uh, same uh, consulting firm, they talked about what trust led to. What's their theory of trust? Know what it was? Trust led to speed. <laughs> and they were going to get solutions to market faster than anyone else. And you, you work with the consulting firm and your particular you know, sponsor because they have all the relationship, relationships internally. And when it comes to working a weekend to get a solution done, they're going to get it done. So trust is speed. So now if you start communicating to the client, you know, oh, trust, you know, what does that mean? Why do I care? And you say, work with us because you're going to trust us and we're going to work faster. Now, now that's compelling. In a similar way, you need the same kind of messaging internally to the sales reps to get them excited about trust. You know, what does trust lead to? Is it, you know, um, you know, potentially openness in the sales process? Right now, we're all getting shut down in the sales process. Go back to that dirty glasses example. You can think of something, you know, virtual, there would be a corollary, but you know what? Because trust wasn't there right in the beginning with the dirty glasses, that executive shut down and mm -hmm. he was not open to the pitch from, from the get-go. So, you know, your chances are, are uh, finite here in this virtual environment. You have limited time. You got to have openness from the very beginning if you're going to hope to do discovery calls well. So, I mean, maybe a message like that, trust leads to openness, is a theory that gets, gets a salesperson animated. Now, we're mentioning a few things here. Story was one of them. Metaphor is another theory. This is part of your six pillars, essentially, of kind of how I come to trust you that is the basis for your answer intelligence, what you call AQ. So walk us through from beginning to, to kind of, you know, the end of all six of these pillars and, you know, tell us a little bit more about AQ and, and how important it is and kind of why you put it together and then what each one of these elements are. Yeah, I'll go up uh, 50,000 foot level. So we all know questions. You know, I, I started doing research because we know questions. We question methodologies in sales, the six WH questions in school, open and close questions. Mm -hmm. If I said, how many answer types are there? There'd be a long pause and a lack of a response. So I did research on these six answer types. Questions are for curiosity, answers are for influence. So if you wanna influence someone on any topic, take, take trust. You need the six answers. And we just walked through four of them. You know, what is trust? Answer with a concept and a metaphor. Why is trust important? A story and theory. And to, to, to bring this home, you know, how do I trust you? You have to have procedures and actions you use. So procedures are simply steps. If, if trust is important to you as a salesperson or organization, you need processes in place, procedures, steps. And it could be as simple as before a meeting, you know, we prepare, we clean glasses, we do the meeting, we do a debrief afterwards, all in a way that facilitates trust. And um, the last, the last answer is actions, and those relate to procedures. But what are the high quality actions you can do to differentiate yourself in the marketplace? So 
you know, I just get, we just talked about all six answers for trust, but just to, to give you one more example, very brief, it can relate to anything that's important. I've done a lot of workshops on value proposition communication, and I challenge any sales organization, can you communicate your value proposition in terms of six answers? And if you do this, it's really going to open up your, your dialogue and command with the clients. Yeah, and that's obviously, Brian, near and dear to me is, you know, a value guru and the ROI guy. Um, so the six pillars are story, which a uh, huge fan, let me tell you a story, uh, metaphor, theory, concept, procedure, and action. Let's just decompose each one. So what is your definition of, of a story answer? Yeah, a story is... Um is a, creates an emotional response to a theme. Mm -hmm. So we have like the Cinderella story. And we all know, for example, the Cinderella story in different movies like the movie Rudy or uh, Seabiscuit or Pretty Woman. So then a story has different elements and I'm not gonna go through all these, but a lot of these are underappreciated. We think we know stories, but do we really? So for example, story is a beginning, middle and end. Mm -hmm. A lot of times- Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of times when people tell stories, they skip one aspect of it. A story has drama, a reversal. A story has round characters as opposed to flat characters. So they're, they're interesting and dynamic. Um, a story pulls out aspects of the context. So each of these elements, you know, collectively help us understand stories. And, you know, I will say we understand a lot about stories. So that's probably the area that we think we know the most about. But even within something like story, there's room for improvement. You know, how many times do we tell an example or a case study and we say it's a story, but it really has no drama, has no reversal, has no round characters. So th there's still more learning to be done. Yeah, I like to, to say there's four elements just to make it simple for sellers to remember. You know, it's got to have that shape, which is, you know, kind of a reveal and tension and climax and kind of freight tags triangle. It's got to have a hero, which is not you, by the way. It should be your customer or a customer. Uh, should have a villain, so something they were fighting against. And then the biggest thing is making sure it has purpose that's beyond just your, you know, something pedestrian, that there's a bigger kind of challenge that that hero was facing in their life, a, a life-changing dilemma or, or a career-ending dilemma that they were facing or a, an organizational-ending transformation that they needed to address. So something like that, I think, kind of puts it in the right framework. Now, metaphor is one that I know people may think they know, but I want to get, you know, you, you to communicate that one. So I'm, I'm answering a question, how do I use metaphor properly? Yeah, so, you know, first of all, a story, not, not to get too technical, but I feel compelled to say mm -hmm. that the story is an analogy. Okay, mm -hmm. stories have cause and effect. Mm -hmm. Metaphor, you know, I'm showing a visual for an audience that's not going to see the visual, but imagine a Venn diagram. You have two concepts that are partially overlapping, and then overlapping the concepts is a metaphor. And it, what a metaphor does is it helps us understand important concepts in one space by reference to something else in a different space. Mm -hmm. So let me give you a, a concise example from our research. We interviewed the top golf instructors in the world. A lot of this was based on that. So one of the golf instructors taught Cy Young award-winning pitchers the game of golf. So that's pretty <laughs> exciting. And uh, this uh, instructor said, the 
uh, swing in golf is like the throw in baseball. The dynamic balance is the same. So for a, a pitcher, they sort of get, you know, the rotation, but the point is dynamic balance in golf, dynamic balance in baseball, and these examples, the swing and throw, sort of help us understand dynamic balance better. So yeah. metaphors help us understand concepts better. And that's the, the point of it. Um, and I'll just say one thing related to the sales context. As sellers, we're very enamored with stories, which are great. But there's a lot of reason to focus on metaphors. They're easier to tell. You can look them up on the internet often. And um, they're very effective. So we had a, a selling organization. They had a very complex product. They couldn't understand, you know, an aspect of analytics. Mm -hmm. And they took this concept of analytics and they developed metaphors that they shared with the client. And all of a sudden, the, their world opened up and they were able to communicate effectively. Yeah, because it puts the uh, complex. I mean, you can't get a sport much more complex than golf to be able to perform at an elite level. And it, it related it back to what the Cy uh, Young Award winners knew, which was baseball, right? So it took something new and put it into a framework that they could understand. And I think that's where metaphors work so well. And you'll hear the success that folks have, you know, all of the successful movies that have been pitched to movie executives, you know, the, the ability to metaphor it, right? To put it in the perspective of a, it's, it's like this movie, but here's the new twist that we have on it, right? That we put on it. It's like Star Wars, but it has, uh, you know, a journey that we've never seen before or, but, it, but, it, but it's a woman's perspective on, on that journey. So it's, it, those kind of metaphors make it to where, oh, okay, I get it. I understand. Here, here's two, two quick follow-ons. One, Aristotle said metaphors are a sign of genius. So, you mm -hmm. know, let's, let's, let's do some metaphors. Yeah. Here's an example of where you can use it. Uh, in our book, we talk about research with Gong. Early in a sales cycle, when you're doing uh, cold calls, you don't have much time. Don't give a story. It takes too long. Do a concise metaphor to stimulate interest to get the next um, next uh, call. So there's a lot of really fun ways to use metaphors that are really effective. I love it. Pivot to the next one. So story, metaphor, theory. Yeah. And by the way, story and metaphor, we call those uh, relational answers. They emotionally connect. So that okay. should make some sense. So if we pivot to, I'll take concept and theory and maybe look at them together. These are the analytical, the logical mm -hmm. answers. Mm -hmm. So it starts with concept. So we talked about trust as a concept and concepts can be defined and they can be broken down into dimensions. So often we throw out these concepts, but we don't really understand what they are. Mm -hmm. so I, I do a lot of consulting around like employee engagement with uh, HR folks. And I say, well, what is engagement? They have no idea. And, <laughs> and I'll say it's cognitive engagement. They think about the job, emotional engagement. You know, they care about the company when it does well, physical engagement. They have the stamina to do the job. I understand engagement. So as a seller, whatever you want to talk about, trust, value proposition, you want to have that command of the concept. So yeah. that's a concept. I'll, I'll pause there. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of putting the codification of the bigger metaphor or story or point you're trying to get across to now decomposing it to that next level. So the buyer knows that you understand what the heck it is you're answering about and having those concepts defined and structured and codified with messaging important. Next is theory then? Yeah, next is okay. theory. And, and I'll say 
you know, one thing that's so uh, about concepts is in, when it gets really dark out, so to speak, and like the sales go south, or you're not doing well, and you want to focus on trust. If you don't understand that concept, and it's not some, a guiding light for you, you're going to forget it. So yeah. you have to have this indwelling in it. So it sounds sort of new age, but concepts are important. Theory is simply cause and effect between concepts. So you should have your theory. Like we said, trust leads to speed. You know, you want to have that precision because mm -hmm. unless you know exactly why you're doing something with your theory, you're going to drift and you're going to, you know, you're going to forget why you do it when it comes down to procedures and actions and you're, you're going to forget it's all for, you know, speed. So you have to be able to communicate concisely, particularly to senior level buyers, you know, senior executives, they want to talk about business strategy. That's theory. You have to be able to communicate cost and effect. Yeah. And so the before after being able to clearly articulate what those are, the cause and the effect, the challenge and the solution, you know, just different words that different people have put towards it, I think um, definitely needs to be a part of those answers. And then finally, we have the last two, and you mentioned these when we kind of got this part of the conversation started, procedure and then actions from those procedures. So talk yeah. about those two to round us up. Yeah, to round us out. And, and interestingly, these are the ones that most of us think we already do well, because this is like the how and oh, yeah, I'm good at the how, which is true, but but uh, maybe not. So <laughs> what is procedure in action? A real simple explanation is it's like a recipe. When we talk about the 10 steps to bake a cake, we're emphasizing the procedure, the mm -hmm. steps. When we talk about any given step, like cracking an egg, it's an action. So here's where we see you could have a very complicated procedure, 50 steps, or something very small, two steps. Um, so procedures and actions you know, help us get work done. So the basic idea is anything that's important, any important concept like trust, and I said this before, let's put a procedure in place. What are the steps? And um, when you look at procedures and actions, there's a lot of hallmarks of effective procedures and actions. But um, I like to start with, do you have three steps in place for something? Um, and then actions, there's really two categories of actions, best practices and unique. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going back to the story of the dirty glass, arguably, you know, having clean glasses is a, uh, is a best practice that everyone does. But I bet you, if you looked at it, in most office environments, there's probably a lot of dirty glasses because nobody wants to take responsibility for cleaning the glasses before the meeting. So maybe that's unique, but you have to be able to communicate best practices and unique actions uh, to show competency and show differentiation. Yeah, and again, to remind everyone, all of this comes back to how you provide the answers, which are for influence, and as you said, Brian, you know, questions are for curiosity, but the answers are for influence. This is so how do you influence? You influence with the emotion, the story, the metaphor, the logic, which is the concept and the theories. And then what would you group the procedure and action into yeah. in terms of kind of a category? Yeah, pr procedures and actions relate to getting work done. Okay. okay. This is a very practical, <laughs> you know, so just another example. If I'm a sales manager working with a sales rep and they're stuck in the sales process, can I give them a specific action that might allow them to be more effective? So this is, you know, very actions are the concrete. 
you know, yeah. or, or even actions for the client of, you know, here's the three steps we're going to use to workshop you and implement the solution, right? And here's, here's the actions we take if we realize something is broken or not broken um, in your environment to fix it. It's kind of the capability and maturity journey almost that you're going to take them on with the solution that you're proposing. Um, so I love it. I think it's uh, an area that I think a lot of organizations, like you said, they'll focus on creating this catalog of discovery questions and it turns into the inquisition or they provide a really good presentation or a demo kind of script but if you don't think of the answers that you ultimately want to get the customer to understand and that you're empowering your commercial team with how are you going to get there and and i think this is a unique approach to it of thinking about answers not just thinking about the questions what is the one piece of advice, Brian, you'd like to leave our Evolver community with today? I would say this, you know, in, in our book, we have five high IQ practices that are all important, but high IQ practice one is arguably the most important. It's very simple. And we've talked about this the whole time, but just to be explicit, uh, provide six answers. So prior to an important conversation, think of the six answers. During the conversation, provide six answers. And I think if you do that, you'll probably be 50% of the way there to having a high AQ. Awesome, Brian, thank you so much. How can the Evolver community find and reach you online? Yeah, two ways, of course, uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Brian Glubkowski on LinkedIn. Uh, second, we have a uh, Answer Intelligence website, raiseyouraq.com. You can uh, find more information there. Thank you so awesome. much, Tom. Yeah, and Brian, we're going to include your book in the Books That Matter listing for the Enablement Books That Matter um, so that our readership can find it and we'll also provide your LinkedIn address. Man, thank you for joining and participating. Make Evolvers a great and growing community, Brian. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Until next time, Evolvers, keep evolving.